millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Secret Library podcast is now, as of April 2021, five years old. Thank you for your support of the show over the years. Up to now, our Secret Library Cafe community has just been for students in my courses, but now we're welcoming all footnotes and foyer subscribers. Sign up to receive writing inspiration in your inbox at carolinedonahue.com slash footnotes, and your invitation to join the Secret Library Cafe will be in the welcome email. This is the Secret Library Podcast. Welcome to season four, The Visible Writer. How does visibility change your relationship to your writing itself? How much of your process do you make public? And how soon do you share your work after it's written? We've explored these and other questions this season, and today I'm wrapping things up with our final solo episode. It's my continual dream to make this show more visible. If this or any other episode inspires you, please share it with a friend and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you, thank you for being a part of The Secret Library. Hey there, it's just you and me today with our final solo episode. And I have been thinking a lot about what I wanted to share in this episode. Usually... I have a few key points, but the issue this time was how much there is to talk about on the topic of visibility. I want to start with the experience of working on The Voyeur the last couple of months, because I think that's the most concrete example of making writing visible for me. And part of the reason for doing it was I wanted a new challenge. I really thrive on challenge and... One of the things that used to really excite me was how impossible it felt to write a book, how impossible getting through a whole narrative was. I really didn't believe in my 20s and even my early 30s that it was possible for me to write enough words to fill a whole book. And as I've moved past that fear and feel pretty confident in being able to do that, I realized that I was missing the challenge. I was missing that, can I do this or not? I mean, I'm the kind of person who ran a half marathon just because I had never been athletic in my life and was always the last person running the mile when we did fitness tests at school. So I really enjoyed proving that story about what I could and couldn't do wrong. And so now that I had already moved past this, it's not possible for me to write a book story. I wanted something new and something that felt a little bit scary. So what I set out to do 
was to tighten the timeline and to remove the net a little bit. And I also wanted a story that was going to make the experience of 2020 valuable as material, because I was really feeling frustrated by the limitations in life, the perpetual ongoing being in the house. Um, The first few months were fine for me, probably honestly the first six months, because I'm an introvert and I'm a writer. So being, being asked to stay inside and be at my desk wasn't really a big punishment for me at first. But over time, I realized how much my writing pulled from experiences I had went out in the world. And so I wanted to take the experiences I had had, the things that I was looking at every day, and have a reason to look at it differently. So over Christmas, I had this idea to write a serial novel. And I watched Rear Window, which is always an inspiration for many, many books, many movies. It's a, it's a huge influence on lots of writing. So I knew that wasn't particularly original. However, I live in a flat that looks out on a courtyard very much like Rear Window. And I had always wanted to live in that sort of place. And so I thought I would take the little slices of life that I was witnessing and dial them up to 11, so to speak, make them far more dramatic than they really are. And create a situation in which someone trapped inside by the pandemic was seeing things she didn't expect. And so I looked at ways I could make this more dramatic than it is for me. Um, Nadia, my character, doesn't speak German. She has never learned German. Um, She's there, she thinks, on a temporary job that falls through. She's not that familiar with the city. She doesn't know anyone there. She has no connections, no context, and she's lost her work. So this is far more dramatic than what happened with me. But it, it caused ways for me to revisit this year, revisit the material, and see how it would have impacted me if I was in a far more um, challenging situation than I was. And... I was able to look out the window and see little things and think about how could I make this, how could I make this into something much more dramatic and much more compelling for someone looking, looking at other people. And that was fun. That was a fun puzzle. So that was the first thing was to have this mental puzzle for myself. And the second thing was to come up with new writing every week. And not only come up with new writing every week, but share it with a wide group of people. I mean, my list is, it's its more people than I know personally. And yet it isn't so large that it felt terrifying. Um, what was honestly more, more frightening to me was not sharing the list with strangers Um, or people I had never met who happened to be subscribed to the newsletter. It was um, family members who signed up to read it. And, you know, a large group of my husband's family was reading. And I felt very shy about this at first because I knew there was going to be sex in this book. And then, you know, I had relatives signing up and relatives, friends. And um, that was a little bit scary at first because 
I thought, okay, these are people who I'm actually going to talk to about this. It's one thing to have a list who may or may not respond, but it was another thing to put work out. And I did find that that influenced what I was writing. I think if I was writing exclusively to total strangers, I think I would have felt braver to push the envelope more. And now as we've gotten through, you know, a dozen chapters or so, and I'm taking, I'm taking a pause to finish my other novel, the, the ongoing novel that needs to be finished, I think I want to revisit how the second half of the story is going to go. And it's given me a good foundation to kind of push the story forward. But it's been interesting. At first, it was really terrifying. At first, it was really, really scary to hit send on those emails. And then I would just sit there and you're sending it out into a vacuum. And then I could see in my newsletter program how many people had clicked. I could also see how many people had unsubscribed or how many people had asked just to get footnotes and not continue to receive the voyeur. So that was, that was sometimes um, disappointing or it was hard not for me to feel like it was a reflection on the writing. But at the same time, after a few issues, I noticed that I don't feel fear in the same way about sharing my work that I used to. I'm not worried about, okay, people are going to think whatever they think. And some of this is, of course, you know, some people don't want to read a thousand word installment in an email. That's a lot of words. It's a lot more words than we normally get in email. And I personally suffer from email overload. So in that way, I've, I've allowed myself with the help of encouraging friends to rewrite the story of why people might not want to receive the chapters. And so making the story visible, I think, hasn't been particularly scary. That was never the scary part because this character is quite different than me. Her life experience is quite different than me. I can kind of relate to her hypothetically, but, but it doesn't feel like I'm revealing my personal life because there's very little about her that I've taken from my own life aside from the location where she's living. But the sharing of the process and also sharing material when I've had virtually no time to reflect on it. Originally, I thought that I would write the piece the same week as I sent it. But as it went on, because I was less anxious about it, I was increasingly writing it the same day as I was sending it. So the way that the process has worked is that I have a notebook. I actually have like a folio, which I have several notebooks inside of. And one of them is just a scratch paper pad. Um, this is similar, actually, to when Rachel Steven was on the show last season. We talked about her writer's toolkit. This is kind of a modified version of that. And you can check that out via the show notes in her episode. And so I have a notebook that's just scratch paper for me to say, what kind of, what kind of format do I want to play with? Do I want to try writing a chapter that's lists? Do I want to make a schedule? So I've did both of those things as, um, 
as chapters. And so I was playing with format and I was also playing with ideas. Like how could this play out? What would happen if this character happened to run into her? You know, is she going to directly encounter these people? Is she just going to watch them? There is a neighbor downstairs who's on the same side of the courtyard. So she can't see him um, from her window and he can't see her from his window because they live in the same location, basically a couple of floors apart in height. So in a way they can have a personal relationship as friends because they can't watch each other. I think that's what's different for her. And so I was looking at all of these things and I have this notebook where I make notes. So that's one of them. And then the other notebook that's in there is basically a bullet journal. And in that I will, before writing a scene, look at the plot embryo I've made for the main character. So I'm following the the emotional arc I want her to have. So I don't have scenes necessarily laid out in advance, but I will think about, okay, what's the next thing that might happen following on what happened before that would push her to make these new discoveries about what she thinks and who she is and how the world works. So then I will contemplate scenarios in which that will happen. And I've usually been chewing on it over the week. And then I write up what the motive is in the scene, which isn't classically a plot motive. It's more, what's the purpose of the scene? What is, what's the goal? Um, I don't necessarily think of it as a motive because she doesn't always really know what she wants consciously. She often, in some ways, has an idea about what she's going for, but that's not really what the purpose of the scene is. So in a way, it's more my motive as a writer. Then I will note the conflict. So basically, what's getting in the way? What's the problem in this situation? Because if there's no conflict, it's not very fun to write, and it's not very compelling to read. So I clarify what the... um, what the conflict is. And then the final thing is the resolution. Where am I going to leave this? And because this is a serial and because I want people to stay engaged, it's never completely resolved. Or if one thing is resolved, I'm always going to introduce another problem. So that's how I'm trying to keep people hooked to want to keep going. And then at the very bottom of the page, because this is usually about one A5, or sorry, one Yeah, one A5 sized page of notes. At the bottom, I will put little slice of life details that I might want to include. Like, oh, what if she was in this shop? Or what if she walked down this street? Or what if she encountered this kind of thing? Like the um, table tennis, which is everywhere in Berlin. There is table tennis like nobody's business in this city. I had no idea how much table tennis there was before I lived here. And so that was one detail that had to be included because people are just playing table tennis all the time. And it's not something you can just jump into. They're good and scary. So I would never just casually go up and play. I'd get creamed. Um, So that was something that felt important because it's not something that many people think about, I think, when they think of Berlin, but it's definitely part of the scene. So those little details are things I put at the bottom of the page. And then I try to let it sit and I will do something else. Ideally, I've made these notes on a Monday and then set them aside and done whatever I have to do um, the rest of the day, Monday. And then Monday morning, um, I usually teach a class. So I would teach that class, which is 
completely different focus and then come back and write it usually between 11 a.m. and when I send it out. So it usually takes about an hour to write it. And then I would go through um, the software pro writing aid, run it through there, see if there's any grammar issues, see if I've spelled anything wrong, see if I've used sentence structures that are awkward because it's quite good at picking that out. After using it for a while, I largely have avoided those sorts of structures. It's breaking my habits, which is good. And so I go through that and then I put it into the software and I send it and see what happens. Oh, and I pick the collage. Um, my husband does collage art and has a shop. And so I just go through the images that he's done for the shop. And I pick one that seems thematically uh, related or like it, it could be an abstract representation of the themes. And then I just put that image in and send it. And that's been how it's gone. My plans for the future for it are, I think we're at about the halfway point of the story. I think it's going to end up being more of a novella than a full-length novel. Also because I feel like I want to I end on a high note, not when people are bored. So I'm starting to look further ahead than I have up to this point. I feel like I've established the world, I've established the character, I've established her situation, and... Now she's starting to take more risks and she's trying to be responsible and, you know, figure out what it would be to stay where she is, but she's got a lot of logistical issues to deal with. So I feel like I've set up enough challenges that I can now let them spin up in intensity and start to ping pong off of each other. And that will allow everything to come to a close. I have a sense of how it will end, but I'm not 100% certain that will work. Because when I write, I'm more interested in the character feeling believable and the character taking actions that are consistent with who the character is. And she's going to have to make some personal discoveries. She's going to have to become more aware of herself. And as she does, um, what I think is believable for her to do might change. And that's part of what makes it interesting for me, there being an unknown element. And so all of that is what's happening. And so it's interesting that, you know, I'm making a first draft visible. I'm making how I'm doing it visible. It's really strange. Um, my other novel that I've been working on for years, only a handful of people have read, only a handful of people know what it's about. Um, my family, my husband, nobody's read it, only my editor and a couple of writing group, um, a couple of people in writing groups have read it. So that one is vastly more private. And I think that part of the reason I was able to do this with The Voyeur is because it was designed that way. I don't think I could write a novel that I was really in love with, like the idea that I'm going to work on after I finish this book. That one, nobody's going to hear about that one either. That's going to be really private. But I felt it was important to me also as a teaching device because so many of my students are discouraged 
and intimidated and reading books that they love and then really kind of flattened by looking at what their own first drafts look like and thinking, ugh, this is nowhere near that. But there's really no reference out in the world that allows you to see what first drafts look like. I mean, there are some people, um, I think Steinbeck wrote a writing diary, so you get to see some of his process. And there are, you know, a few examples of this. Michael Chabon did something for, um, I think, The Believer or McSweeney's at one stage where there was a book he gave up on. And so he shared some annotated passages of that original draft, but it's very difficult to get a copy of that issue and it's outrageously expensive. I've researched it, but because they were limited and it's not for sale anymore, it's not something you can get. So it's very hard to get your hands on something that's an early draft because most people are too embarrassed to share them because they're not great. Um, and I am running this through pro writing aid. I am thinking about it, knowing that people are going to read it. And so that does influence the way that I write it. Um, it's probably not quite as shitty a first draft as novels. I'm not going to share with anybody. Um, not as shitty as those drafts, but it's, it's certainly shittier than the, fin the finished draft of the novel I'm getting to way, way sketchier, way less formed. And so I wanted there to be something to bridge the gap and for people to see, okay, you know, there are things, there are mistakes in this book. Somebody wrote to me early on and there was, there was a reference in a scene where she was in a shop and I had already pointed out that everyone was wearing masks, that somebody pursed their lips and somebody wrote back to the newsletter and said, you know, you said they pursed their lips and, um, how could she see that behind a mask? And I was like, you're totally right. That is a mistake. And that's part of what this project is, is showing something with mistakes still in it. And I love getting that feedback, actually. It's really nice. It's like crowdsourced editing. And it's very interesting to have people write back and people be worried about Nadia and be invested. And there's some people that write back really frequently, which is a, which is a nice thing. And that has meant a lot. And you don't get that kind of support along the way with books when you're not in any kind of community, when you're not sharing what you're doing with other people. And so that's also been really lovely. But we shall see. We shall see where it goes. Um, I think partly also there's this balance between enjoying something and being excited about it and there being anxiety, which holds you back. And I think I did have this sense of anxiety about sending my novel that I've been working on for years out to agents and that there was a sense of fear in that of like, oh, it's going to be rejected. I don't know what's going to happen. What is this going to mean? Is this going to make me seem not legitimate as a teacher or as a podcaster if I don't immediately have some really high profile sale? You know, all of these kinds of fears that I had. And so writing the serial novel for people to read and respond to was almost like a rehearsal and a way to make it more normal that, okay, I'm sending out work and people may unsubscribe, people may comment, who knows what's going to happen. That there's a, um, there's a, there was a rehearsal of that. So now I feel like I'm in a completely different place in terms of sending work out and sharing work. I don't have the same 
paralysis that I did before um, when preparing to send the book out. So that's been really helpful. Sort of making things normal has been a huge thing. Over the course of doing this show for five years, um, up to a few years before starting to do the show, it seemed really extraordinary to me to finish and put a book out in the world. And after doing hundreds of interviews, I feel like it's inevitable to put a book out because I've talked to so many people who've done it. It seems so normal. And part of what transforms your experience of whether or not it's possible to write a book is whether or not you have a lot of interaction with people writing books. If you're the only person in your friendship and family circle that's a writer, it can feel weird. It can feel isolating. You know, it's a strange thing to do writing a book. You have to believe in yourself for long periods of time. And that's hard to do if you're not around other people who are working towards that same goal. So I have found that to be essential and interacting with people at all stages of the writing process, whether they're just beginning, whether I'm learning from someone who has published many books, whether I'm teaching someone who's just starting to believe they could do this, whether I'm interacting with other writers as peers, however it is, but immersing myself in this world of writing a book is a totally normal and everyday thing that people do has made a huge difference. And that brings me to another thing about visibility that I've been thinking about a lot over these months of doing this season. And that is that um, I've been thinking about the different levels of visibility depending on the type of writing you're doing and where you're sharing it. And so I'm thinking about there are different degrees of visibility when writing nonfiction that's instructive versus memoir versus fiction. And then there's different levels of visibility when I think about podcasting versus doing video and versus taking photographs, you know, recording aspects of, of my life and my writing and photographs and sharing it on social media. All of these things are different. And it's been a constant conversation with myself and with the people that I interact with. So when podcasting, you know, I'm visible, but I'm less visible than my guest in that moment. I mean, I'm asking questions. I'm asking them to share. And I do increasingly share things myself on the show. And since going to seasons, doing these solo episodes has been a new way of revealing more of my process and my experience. So that's definitely been an increase in visibility. But when I first started podcasting, I did not make myself very visible. I was not comfortable sharing very much of my process because I didn't feel like much of an authority. I was much more in the role of student or learning from the guests that I had on. Um, I can hear it in the early episodes that I listened to. And I've actually had listeners write and say, oh, it's so nice that you seem so much more um, on the same level as your guests. And, you know, that depends on the, the level of success my guests have, have achieved and also how well I know them. I mean, I have more and more people that I know well 
to have on. And there's obviously a different degree of comfort there. But I think that there's been more comfort sharing how I feel about writing and how I write myself as I go. Because again, being a part of a writing community has been central to that. And then in writing nonfiction, I didn't feel particularly vulnerable or like there was a huge amount of visibility fear with writing story arcana because I felt like I was teaching a tool that I find valuable. And yes, it's maybe unusual to be connected to tarot and writing, but I felt like I was coming in on kind of a major upswing in terms of tarot popularity. If I'd put that out maybe 10 years ago, I might've felt more vulnerable because maybe tarot would have still felt a bit more fringe, but it so doesn't now. It feels like tarot is everywhere. So I didn't really feel particularly concerned about that. And Fiction in some ways feels more vulnerable because I'm trying to communicate emotion. I'm trying to communicate feelings of characters. I'm going into difficult situations that they have, and there's just more emotion involved. I'm more invested in them. Um, I feel like I have to risk more in order to write fiction, but not everybody feels that way. And I'm not at a point where I'm writing memoir. I mean, I experimented with writing a slice of life email about being in Berlin and it was much more humorous essays and things that were bizarre about being in another country, mistakes that we made because, you know, the rules were different, but it seems so normal here that nobody thought to explain it and we didn't think to ask because we just assumed that things operated certain ways. And so that was... um, That was an experiment, an interesting experiment that I thought might go towards writing a memoir about living abroad or or something like that. But it didn't, it sort of ran out of juice because we adjusted to being here and I didn't want to continue to hold myself apart and to look at Berlin and living in Berlin as if I were some zoo animal, um, you know, having bizarre experiences. I wanted to learn about the culture and I wanted to, I wanted to engage with it. I wanted to evolve and, and get comfortable and feel at home here. And so writing about how, you know, this funny, funny mistake I'd made here and there, um, it just, it just didn't fit. And so I stopped sharing that. I stopped making that as as visible. It's, it's appeared somewhat in, in Nadia's escapades, but a lot of my funny slice of life German issues are to do with me having a a less than perfect command of the language and, you know, being fearful of saying something incorrectly at the doctor and making him think that, you know, I'm a death store instead of just, you know, having some allergies or whatever. That's, you know, that's part of the challenge, but it just, that's not the experience of the character. And I don't feel like I'm at a point where I want to write a book about that. It's, it's more interesting to me to be in fiction or to do something else instructive on the process of writing, which is something I've thought about writing about again as well. And I think that the final thing that I want to share is the need to balance being visible with periods of not being so visible. 
I think that I am able to be more visible by doing Instagram lives, by creating podcast seasons, by interacting with students, by answering questions and talking about what it's like to be a writer. All of those things I'm very happy to do. And I noticed that when I made a shift in my schedule and the way that I managed my time, it made it more possible to me. Because last year, 2020, as soon as the pandemic hit, I basically did not take a break at all until from March until just before Christmas. I did go on a couple of trips. I went on one to research the novel, and but I taught a class um, online from the from the the time in um, in another city, and I had a course running while I went away for a long weekend um, for our anniversary and my husband's 50th birthday. And so I was still answering comments. I was still in the forum. So I didn't feel completely unplugged for the majority of last year, during which time I created four courses and reimagined the whole way that I teach writing because my other source of income, teaching English, uh, teaching English to adults in Germany, basically dried up with the pandemic. So I had to think about making something meaningful happen for people. And part of that was possible because I started doing a lot of Instagram lives and interacting with people directly, finding out what they were interested in, and really building a relationship with people who realized, oh, the world has changed right now, and maybe this is a good time to write. So I was really on for a long period of time, and I was basically ready to drop by the time it got to Christmas. So I took three weeks off from working to just sort of pause and realized that the only way I can be on is to know there's going to be a period when I don't have to be on um, coming up and that I'm so excited by what my students are doing that I cannot look away from it when, when I have classes in session. I just can't. I'm too excited. I want to be in the forum. I want to be talking to them. I want to know what's going on. I'm really so fueled and inspired. And I learn so much from what's happening for them, where they're stuck, where they're succeeding, the solutions they come up with. All of that is so compelling to me that I will basically run myself into the ground um, in order to be there for them. And the way that I've found I can do this is that I have to set up my schedule such that, okay, I offer courses and then I have like three or four weeks off between course runs and I can focus on my own writing. Um, and then it feels like I'm in this bubble and I'm recording this actually, as soon as I record this, I'm going to disappear into my bubble for the next few weeks to finish the book and get it ready to send out. And I feel that I need both. In order to be a thriving creative, I need both. I need to interact with other writers at all stages of, of who they are and what they're working on. And I get fed by that. I get inspired by that. I, I, I get so much joy from that process. And I cannot write, at least I can't do the revision that 
is the more tedious side of revision when I've got that around. Because that's like, oh, you can eat this, you can have this stewed kale, or you can have brownies. Like I'm always going to pick the brownies. My students are always going to be the brownies when I'm doing that part. If I am doing research or I'm in the early stage of drafting and I'm dreaming that up, that's like brownies and cookies, like totally fine to do both. But I'm at the, the stewed kale portion of the revision and I just gotta, I just gotta focus on it and get it done. And so I've realized that making my schedule such that I have periods of time when there are no classes happening and I'm able to go inward and be less visible and not worry so much about the outside world, it allows me to write and it allows me to finish. And it's taken 20 years to create a schedule that allows for that. I did not have the ability to do this for years and years and years and years. I was not capable of creating this schedule when I lived in the US. Um, I always had day jobs and they always dictated how much time I had off. And it was, you know, 10 days a year, like it is in the US. Because you get two weeks, but it's two five-day weeks. (laughs) And then that's what you get. And it feels normal because that's the way it works. And so part of the reason for moving to Berlin was we wanted something else to feel normal. And we wanted to have more control over our time. And I particularly needed it in order to be creative. And I feel very fortunate that we were able to do that because it's not something that everyone's able to do. So I'm pretty much grateful and think about that every single day that that was possible. And I just, as someone who's shared a lot about the process and choices that I've made and how I've gotten there, that if something like that feels impossible, like having periods of time of weeks to focus on writing is not doable for you, don't let that be a reason not to start. I didn't have that when I started. This is the first year I've had that. And I've been trying to do this for nearly 20 years. But what I did have was a couple of hours. I did have lunch breaks. I did have um, an afternoon on the weekend. I did have those 10 days I was able to take off and I could choose them how I wanted to. Um, I did have sick days. (laughs) There were a limited number of sick days as well. Um, and I get migraines, I, I have health stuff. And so if I wasn't feeling well and stayed home, I could read, I could write a couple paragraphs, you know, I, I made it fit. And one thing that I said in a recent live is that you kind of have to wiggle, you got to find that wiggle room and claim it. And that if you keep claiming that wiggle room, it will grow you will find more space, but don't look for weeks if what you've got is minutes. Don't look for, you know, don't look for a huge chunk that's so intimidating, it's going to shut you down. If I tried to look for weeks, even in my mid-30s, I would have never written anything. I had minutes or hours at that point. And so I took them. So take what you have and use it and celebrate that. Because as you 
as you make use of that and as you enjoy it, you'll get more creative and it will give you something to work with. So I hope this little dive into my relationship to visibility and what it's meant to create a project that becomes visible visible really quickly. I hope that has been useful. And I look forward to coming back this fall with another season. And in the meantime, enjoy your writing. Take good care of yourself and be well. Thank you so much for listening to the Secret Library Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. You can keep the conversation going by leaving a comment in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash secretlibrarypodcast. You can also connect directly with me on Twitter or Instagram where I'm Caro Donahue. That's at C-A-R-O-D-O-N-A-H-U-E. I look forward to chatting with you there. See you next week. Until then, happy writing.